Welcome to episode 223 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samples. As you heard last week, I make an effort to request a LinkedIn recommendation from clients and participants who've attended events I've spoken at, emceed, and or produced. I'm so glad I do, because I would otherwise have never heard this testimonial. I have attended other Zoom meetings, but never have I turned the camera or mic on. Recently, I attended a Zoom meeting where Robbie was the MC and he was so engaging with all of us that I finally broke out of my comfort zone and fully interacted with everyone. Did an excellent job keeping the agenda rolling on schedule, answering questions for tech issues and challenges, went above and beyond to help. Reminded people to start recording after breaks. Absolutely wonderful host. Wow, that's really feels good to hear. I know that this pandemic has been challenging for a lot of people on many levels. Not feeling comfortable or safe connecting with others through video chat could really add to the feeling of isolation many are experiencing. Makes me realize that producing quality events that help participants engage with each other isn't just a nice to have, but could provide a literal lifeline. As we head into the holiday season and the nights get longer here in the Northern Hemisphere, depression rates and the number of calls to suicide hotlines often increase. This year, with so many unable to visit with friends and family, I'm certain those numbers will be higher than average. Last Friday, the day after U.S. Thanksgiving, I hosted my free weekly No More Bad Zoom virtual happy hour. I'm hosting it on Friday, December 25th as well, and invite everyone to attend whether or not you celebrate Christmas. I know many have come to depend on this weekly gathering as a way to stay connected with a vibrant and generous community. I had no idea when I started hosting these weekly events on March 13 that it would become something I look forward to so much each week. Your challenge this week, host a social on Zoom sometime this month and give friends and family something to look forward to. Set up a registration page that asks participants to share their favorite pump up or holiday song and turn their suggestions into a playlist. Brainstorm a fun list of trivia questions or search the internet for a list by topic, for example, 80 is trivia. Look for fun virtual backgrounds, put them into a Google Drive folder and share the link in chat. Put participants in breakout rooms, discuss their favorite holiday memory. Need help figuring out how to do these things on Zoom? Reach out. I'm happy to help. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, on to this week's interview. Today's guest is a leading expert on friendship and how we can create healthier and more fulfilling relationships in our lives. She speaks across the country and facilitates events for connection. She's been quoted in the New York Times, the Washington Post, and Reader's Digest, and has been interviewed live on over a dozen TV shows, including the Today Show and the Steve Harvey Show. She was selected by Facebook to be their media spokesperson and friendship expert for Friends Day 2018. Her previous books include Friendships Don't Just Happen and Friendtimacy, How to Deepen Friendships for Lifelong Health and Happiness. She's taken her expertise about friendship into the workplace in her latest book, The Business of Friendship, Making the Most of Our Relationships Where We Spend Most of Our Time. Her TEDx talk, Friendtimacy, The Three Requirements of All Healthy Friendships, has been viewed over 400,000 times. Please join me in welcoming Shasta Nelson. Yay! Thank you, Robbie. I'm so excited to be here with you. Shasta, thanks for joining us from your home in San Francisco, California. I'm thrilled to have you here. As you know, this is a show about building strong networks and the context is leadership. So tell us, how do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Well, and if I had one word, I would say leadership is influence. And what I personally think we're here to influence to do is influence people to maximize who they are. So my I'm, I don't know that I have a clean definition of leadership, but it's always about um, how do we use our healthy relationship with them to help them be their best and to help them do what it is they're here to do. So it's a very 
very relational element to me when we talk about healthy relationships in this show. To me, it's impossible to lead if you don't have a healthy relationship. You can boss people around. <laughs> you can like kind of threaten them. Like you can think you're leading. But to me, it definitely has a very relational element where you uh, are caring about who they are, get to know who they are and help do whatever you can to inspire them to make their biggest contribution. You know, what I love is that I've, I've asked this question 200 plus yeah. times and uh, I love how everyone has a slightly different take. And of course yours is in the, with a very heavy lens of relationships. Yeah. And I, honestly, when you say it, it's so self-evident that no one's going to, you know, willingly like lead uh, or willingly follow, I should say, um, you know, if they don't feel a kinship of a, a connection of some kind with that person, it would be like more under duress. <laughs> it wouldn't be, yes, it wouldn't yes. be a leadership moment. Um, so yeah. I'm curious, when did you start to realize you had some of that potential yourself? You know, it's so funny. I've just been going through, I'm packing up and I was going through uh, a box this last week where I found this little, <laughs> this little program I'd written out and had assigned my dad and my sisters and everybody like a little Christmas program. And it was like the whole thing, like you're doing the scripture and you're doing this and I'm going to play this role. And, you know, and I texted this picture of my handwriting, my childhood handwriting. I was like eight years old. And I texted this to my, my sisters and their response was like, yep. From the second we were born, you were like putting us in programs and like leading us and directing us. And I don't have memory of that necessarily, but you look back at all my childhood and I was like always like kind of knew I was going to be a public speaker <laughs> because I was like putting programs together and making people sit and watch. <laughs> and I guess you could say leadership too, because I was involving them. My leadership style is a very activator where it's always about trying to get other people going and pulling them in. And uh, so, yeah, I can look back at that at pretty young ages and see myself even doing it with stuffed animals before the sisters came around. So <laughs> how about you, it. Robbie? How, how, back, how far back? <laughs> do you go when how far back do you go when you think about the answer to that question oh very few people spin this around on me so i love i love that you're <laughs> trying to i want i want to keep the focus on you i've taught i'll say that i'll say that um i i was the kind of kid that organized people and took leadership here's an example of that my high school senior trip went from long island new york to washington dc by bus and i asked how many people fit on a bus and i found that the answer was 60. So I found 60 of the people that I knew to sign up for the same bus. <laughs> nice. I figured it was like, a long trip. That. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're like, I want people I like around me. <laughs> yeah. It's a long trip. People really appreciate it. I was like, this is what you do. Show up here, sign up there. And that was like, that's a, that's a good example of kind of who I was. I was like, yeah, I'm going to make your life easier. Just follow the directions and everyone will be happy in the end. And like, yeah. So as long, uh, as long as they got on Robbie's bus, I feel bad yeah. for the ones who didn't. <laughs> the people who missed out. Right. Well, I, I did 60 was a good, good number to start with. So <laughs> I, I love that you went way back to when you were eight though. And, and that you were saying maybe even earlier than that <laughs> pre pre siblings <laughs> when you were doing this, um, did people notice this in you? Like, was it just evident and did it lead to opportunities later, like maybe even as you got into school and to teachers sort of say, oh, Shasta, you'll, you'll be the one for this. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I think it's, um, for sure. I can look back and just being like, even, even in little church programs, I was invited to come up and do things, um, in school for sure. I was often encouraged. That doesn't mean I always did it or that I always, like I ran for student office. It doesn't mean I won every year, but yeah, I think it was like certainly a part of me that just really, um, loved. And even, you know, in, in informal ways, you can look back. And one of this is one of the things I can tell where I've grown and had maturity too, is that I don't always have to lead anymore. I think when I was younger, it was like, I can probably look back and, you know, whenever you'd break into groups or even at conferences as adults now, they're like, turn the person on your ride. And, and I still have a tendency to just be like the one who leads, you know, the one who's like, okay, well, she said this, and like, who wants to go first? And, you know, that kind of thing. And I've learned as an adult that it's way easier just to kind of, I don't have to do that all the time. I can, I can sit back and let somebody else open that up and hold that space and be a follower. And if nobody does to be able to lean in, but certainly as a kid, I think I was eager and willing to, to step in and fill that, fill that vacuum whenever I saw it. And, um, 
yeah, it's, uh, and then, you know, call high school and college, like college, I, as a freshman in college, I was, I had gone to a college where I didn't know anybody and I was halfway through the freshman year and somebody, they were starting to have student elections for the following year. And there was three guys running. And I remember saying to some girl in one of these classes, you know, you should run. We need some girls running. I mean, this, we can't just let only guys run. And she was like, I'm not interested. You should do it. And I remember going back to my room and being like, that's crazy. I'm a freshman. I don't even have, like, I don't even have friends here. It's not even like I came with a whole bunch of influence or, you know, a group and, um, and I don't even attend it. Like I've never, I hardly attend all these things. And yet I just, in my brain was just like, yeah, but we need a female to run. And so I ran and that was my platform is that I'm not going to play favorites because I don't have friends. I don't know anybody. And I'm not going to do it the way things have always been done because I don't know how they've always been done. And I like, that was kind of my platform. And I won and was like the youngest student by president and a female. And, you know, so I think there's a piece of me where sometimes it's almost just like, this just is the right thing to do. <laughs> and in that case, it was, we just need more representation. So, oh my gosh, what a great illustration of who you are in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> what a good, good example. So, I mean, first of all, noticing the lack of representation, speaking up about it and being willing to step in. I mean, there's that stat that a woman has to be asked 17 times to run for school council and mm. you can suggest to a man, you know, you'd be a good president. They're like, I should explore that, you know, <laughs> like, like there's yeah, just yeah. gender differences on how willing yeah. people are to put themselves out there. Yeah. So the fact that you did, and I love this, like kind of almost anti-platform. <laughs> <laughs> Everything you'll use against me will be what I will say is my selling point. Yeah. yeah. I think I took the air right out of the competitor's speech because I got up and basically anything he was going to throw at me, I had just turned into a positive thing. So I was like, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> So clearly uh, that your speaking abilities that you've been honing from uh, an early age helped in that moment. Did you know going into to, to college that you wanted to pursue speaking or did you even know that was a thing yet? Yeah, interesting question. I so I grew up in a religious world, so I certainly was exposed to uh, public speaking on a weekly basis in a church setting. And uh, certainly you know, new boring talks <laughs> from, from inspiring talks and certainly had a good modeling of things to do and things not to do, which was really helpful. I wanted to actually, when I went to college, I wanted to be a war correspondent. So it was not speaking, but it was certainly uh, helping, helping communicate uh, big things going on to people. So certainly I can look back all the way through and see a thread of that. What I ended up getting and becoming after college, I went to get my master's a degree of divinity and became a pastor. So I actually then was in a situation where I was speaking on a weekly basis uh, in a church, in a religious setting, and did that for a number of years before realizing that I cared so much about connection and so much about relationships and cared a little bit less about everybody needing to believe the same thing or interpret scripture the same way and saw I got disillusioned with certain aspects of how it wasn't carried out well. So, um, so yeah, I became much more passionate about the speaking of how do we build healthy community, whether it's in a religious context or not. We have fewer people attending churches and we all need human relationships and communities. So that's been the last 15 years of my life is just really pursuing the relationship element. So nowhere along the way, did you get like an actual J-O-B, like office, corporate You went, did you go from like speaking in front of the, the church to speaking in front of the audience? Pretty much. I have like one year of experience where I worked a company where I got recruited by a friend to be a general manager of, of a company. So I do have a little bit of like <laughs> that experience where it wasn't one or the other, but it was miserable. Let me tell you, I was like, could not get out of there fast enough. I was like, I need my own hours. I need my own autonomy. I like, I don't like this whole prove to you I'm loyal by staying late in the evening. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. It's so interesting. I've, I've had other guests come on who have a church background. Uh, and one of them is, was studying actually the, the, the fact that people have been leaving the church and um, you know, we're trying to create still a value-based society, right? Like people gathering. And I think that's what I love about your topic, you know, friendship, because it's a kind of thing most people don't put a lot of attention and thought into. It, it's a thing. It's a thing. And, and you know, when it goes wrong, we, we, we notice it, but it's yeah. not a thing we, I don't know. I don't know. We don't think we study or, or got taught about in a, like a concrete kind of way. So because of that, I'm actually curious how you happened upon it as a topic because, you know, sales, clearly that's a topic. <laughs> do you know what I mean? How, yeah, yeah, how do yeah, you yeah, yeah. 
distill because they're both about relationships but how do you mm -hmm. distill that you want to talk about relationships in the context of friendship and how long ago was that yeah, it's a very thoughtful and intuitive question, Robbie. And it was not a popular choice for many, many, many years. There was nobody searching for friendship speaker. Uh, so yeah, it's not necessarily, it wasn't a brilliant choice from a branding perspective. But for me, I mean, you know, referring back to my church upbringing, it with a value of it was that I know the benefit of creating community, of being a part of feeling like there's people there who will have you your back. What I don't like about it is that it often means as long as you conform to whatever we say is the right thing to be or to believe. And so that was an easy thing for me to leave. Um, I want diversity. I value respecting all people. I really, uh, that, but I still want that sense of community. And I was kind of disheartened when I was um, studying community and studying like what parts of it happen. And I was a little disheartened at how we live in a culture where we, at that time, especially very obsessed with the parent-child relationship and the romantic relationships. And everybody, especially a lot of women I was working with at the time, that they just were like, like blinders on to like, I just wanting to find romance. Like that was going to be the thing that gave them identity. Right. And that's just like that to, and, and I could ask them like, who are your friends and how are you spending time with them? And they were just like, oh, I don't really have those relationships or well, I moved and, you know, I just don't stay in touch with them or like, well, and, and it was always like, just kind of, kind of there, like people they would socialize with, but nobody who was really participating in their life in a meaningful, deep way. And, um, and yeah, and I just, and I was reading the research of how significant, especially for women, but now the men's research is showing this too. But at the time, uh, being married and having kids actually doesn't always translate as being happier and healthier for women. There's it's the marriage balance and equality. And often we are more likely to be depressed and more likely to have less money and more likely to, you know, have poorer health. And so why are we chasing after these, these, these two or three relationships in our lives and missing out on the big relationships that actually the quantity that will be the bigger bigger deal to our happiness and to our health. And so I have nothing against those relationships. I want everyone to have healthy relationships in all their areas, but I do think we've done a huge disservice getting so focused on those. And so for me, it was really a, a research-based place, like coming at this from knowing that uh, we feel supported uh, in a bigger way, in a community really is the thing that we can see make a difference to happiness and to health. And so it was really me kind of feeling like I, again, similar, interesting, similar to me in college where I was like, why is there no woman running? It really started with me being like, why is nobody talking about this? And me trying to find resources for people, not, not because I intended to be the resource, but I intended to find this and pass this on. And I was just finding, it was like, it was like barren. And the stuff I did find was just like really little tips. And it was just not valuable in my, it wasn't as valuable as it could have been, I should say. And that really was me saying, why is nobody doing this? And starting to just barely say, well, I can, I, if that's all that's out there and this research is so compelling then I can at least do something with that and, and add to it. So I really kind of came into it just saying, why is nobody doing this and deciding to start doing something about it? And that's, uh, yeah, the research and I, just that, that's what kept fueling me is the research and people were not paying attention to it. You know, I would, we would, I would reach out to magazines and to say, you know, like a health magazine. And I would say, do you know that how like our friendships have more to do with our health than what we eat or whether we exercise? And yet you are covering the same five ways to lose five pounds every single month in your issue, but you're not covering friendship. And they'd be like, we covered that two years ago in the issue of the April. And I was like, wow, you know, so it really came from a place of like, people are not paying attention, I will start just making them pay attention if I can. So that's, that's my way in. <laughs> what, what year was that, that you started to like make this an, 19, an idea? Uh, 2008. 2008. Wow, interesting yeah. time too, considering like, th that's when the economy was, a lot of people like started. Now, were you, were you, did you have the idea for a few years before you just, it was 2008, the year you were like, this is it, I'm going forward? Yep, 2008 was like, uh, and it really was like one of those overnight moments, honestly. This was not some long-term um, thing. It was just, I was coaching several different people and hearing a similar story. And I remember just thinking, we need a way to start finding each other and start talking about this. And so I, my way in was really building a, it was like a match.com for friendship back in the day. And uh, I had a website that helped do that. And we just went all in on that. And over time, just got clear and clear on my strengths and talk about leadership it's getting clearer and clearer 
that uh, my passion, my area of leadership is more influencing and teaching and less about trying to do technology changes and, and research in the areas of like user, all the tech advances and running apps. And like, I just got clearer and clearer that I needed to go where my sweet spot was. And that really helped me just hone in on speaking and writing and teaching and training and the areas where I, yeah. areas where I'm strongest. And I think as leaders, it's about, we need to know where we're strongest and where we're not. And also where our, we're surround ourselves with people who are different than we are and have different strengths. And, you know, I'm very clear what my sweet spot is. You could line up 20 friendship experts. Not that I think there's that many of us, but you could line us all up and we would hopefully based on our different strengths, uh, each bring a different thing to the table. And I'm very clear what mine is. So. Yeah. You know, I remember um, uh, reading Robert Putman's uh, Bowling Alone in 1999 and Huge. that having a profound impact on the way I thought about the world. And I know that book also influenced meetup.com, which came about in that, in that mm -hmm, sort of time frame. Mm -hmm. um, I started a meetup group in 2006 that ran for 11 years. I grew to thousands of members and it was really all about relationships and connecting people around va shared values. So, I mean, you and I are so on the same page about this, but I wanna say that even though I have that sort of context and background, I never would have like succinctly said that the thing I should be learning more about is the friendship piece. I really, you're right. Like I'm a relationship-based kind of person. It's my worldview and you're totally on it. Like the fact that you had access to that research, by the way, those researchers must be thrilled that you exist because we do need translators <laughs> yes. from the academic yes. journal. You know, like th this, is a, uh, this is a thing that some, some writers are really good at translating the work. And I think, you know, the fact that you've been able to take their, their words and their, their research and then take it to a, a public discourse in a different way. And I, I also appreciate how you were able to kind of extract yourself from the tech world that you were falling into and recenter yourself around what you really had a gift for, which was, was teaching. I mean, that was, was standing up in front of a room. I mean, that was clearly a, a, yeah. a calling for very yeah. pre all your other callings. That was true. Yeah. That's really the calling that you had. Yeah. 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 What and was, I would say those are the same. I would say those are the same calling, you know, it's like so different because I'm not religious in that sense at all. And yeah, in both cases, I, my calling was to help create community, you know, and back then it was in one context and now it's in a different context, but like the role or the vehicle or the way I do it uh, changes, but really I can look back and see that that's been my theme, you know, of like my whole life. I have 16 ideas in my head of where I want to go with this conversation. <laughs> um, well, I, I would actually like to talk about um, since since March of this year, March 2020, uh, and anyone who's listening in the future, if you don't remember March 2020, you weren't born yet. Because if you were born, you'll remember March 2020. So <laughs> things changed and really dramatically, but there's been some interesting um, silver linings, I guess I'll call them, because the world's still on fire, both metaphorically and literally. Um, but there's been silver, some silver linings and for me, like I have made more connections and more friendships in the last seven months than in the like two years prior. Um, mm. Sustained new connections and using online tools and being really, I think part of it is that like being consistent and thoughtful mm -hmm. and prioritizing mm -hmm. doing this. I'm in mm -hmm. touch with friends of mine that I've known for over a decade uh, through some online tools that we could have been using for years and we were not. Mm. Mm. <laughs> um, I love the, that. These are the people that, you know, we've, we've vacationed with, we've done holidays with, but our lives have somewhat scattered us. And now we have this little video update. We've actually been using uh, Marco Polo. It's a little video app. I've been using that. I've been using that so much. In yeah. The last six months. And my wife is doing it with her family. And so it's really interesting. I'd love you to speak to how, how your work is like the, what your message is, how does it shift? The medium again has changed, but yep. your message is yep. still the same. So what, yep. what would words do you have for people who are sort of experiencing this moment and needing friendship more than ever, because we've got to counter the isolation we're all experiencing. Yeah. And it might help in this case, just for me to give a little bit of jargon. So when we study all the social science of what makes for healthy relationships, whether it's Google's research of what makes for a healthy team or somebody else's research on healthy marriage or what makes me feel closer to one person than another or trust. When we're studying all these different things, scientists are studying different things, measuring different things, using different words. Uh, years ago, when I was writing my book, my second book, Friend to Missy, I took all these 
studies. And I was like, what are we all agreeing on? Like, what is the definition of friendship? We can't just keep having like 30 different things. And so that's where I really simplified and said, I started grouping everything together and came up with what I call the three relationship requirements. And so these three things are present in every study on relationships I've seen. We use different words for it. And some of them are different illustrations, but these are the three non-negotiables. And so this, I'll say them real quick because I want to then jump off of that to talk about how COVID affects that or any big, uh, any big crisis. Those three things are positivity, which is not does not mean Pollyanna. It does not mean only saying positive things. It actually means how we both feel for having interacted. So we leave both of us feeling like we enjoy each other or we feel more loved or we feel more accepted. So it's having pleasant feelings for both people. All of us, when we obviously, when we think about building friendships, we want to feel good. <laughs> That's what we're going in for. So that reward has to be there. Uh, then we need to have consistency, which is the pattern, which is the repetition. It's the shared experiences. It's the hours logged. It's the time put in. It's the, the way we communicate. It's really our norm as a relationship, the pattern that we have as together. It's our consistent and repetitious interaction. And then the third requirement, because we can have a good time, which is positivity, and we can do it regularly, which is consistency. And I'm, I, I teach these on a triangle. Uh, so I'm using my hands and making little triangles here, but for lack of the third requirement, which is vulnerability, the other two are just a social group. You know, it can just be a fun people we do stuff with. It can be a networking group. It's that third group, that third requirement, vulnerability, where we actually feel seen. It's those moments where we feel more known. Uh, this is where we share ourselves with each other. These are the people we say, I can tell them anything, right? And so uh, when we judge the health of any relationship in our lives, it's how much we practice positive emotion, consistent time, and vulnerable sharing. And so uh, I teach these in my new book, uh, The Business of Friendship, of how these look in a business context. Uh, but, and this is the same in a networking group, same on social media, like anything relational, it's based on these three things. I can guarantee uh, everybody that any relationship in your life that feels good is because these three things are present. And any relationship that's feeling less than meaningful is because one of these three things is lacking. And so what you gave was a great example of uh, when the pandemic hit, you uh, created a new consistency with people that allowed you to actually, if you don't have interaction, if you don't have that consistency, you can't do the other two requirements of relationship, which is get to know each other and, and feel good about it. And so you have to have that interaction. And so one of the really cool things is that we've seen some people lean in deeper to that consistency, whether it's Marco Polo videos, uh, video chats, we're starting to like uh, follow up with each other more frequently, check in with each other. And so for those who created a new consistency or increased their consistency, it gave them the opportunity to actually go deeper and feel more connected uh, and closer to people. We're also seeing the reverse happen where a lot of like relationships that were dependent upon us seeing each other at work or at church or at our kid's school or in that book club, when those things no longer are happening, we're seeing a lot of those relationships just drift apart and die because not because those two people didn't like each other or not because we didn't have fun or admire each other, but because we didn't have the consistency. We never put in a new way of being consistent. And so what we're seeing now across the board is a lot of people are actually having fewer friends, but deeper friends as a result of this pandemic. It's opened up increased vulnerability, I think. We uh, feel less shame with a lot of the emotions of talking about uh, our finances or our health or uh, seeing each other's bedrooms when we're doing uh, video calls, uh, seeing our kids running around, you know, so in some ways our vulnerability has gone up, feeling like we're in this hard thing together. Um, our consistency, if we put it back in place, has gone up with a lot of people. Um, and, and yeah, and as long as we end up feeling good about those interactions, we end up feeling closer to each other. So I don't know if that helps. Does that kind of help describe what's happening? So we can all look and say, if I'm feeling more disconnected, I can look and say, oh yeah, well, which of these three things is lacking? But if we're feeling more connected, you'll it'll be because you increased with these three things. I love it. Thank you for for kind of taking what you're seeing out there in this in the world around this issue and trying to like distill it down for us. I wrote um, uh, my, my experience of the pandemic as it started. I will say uh, March 9th, I sort of really recognized the writing on the wall. <laughs> March 11th, uh, what's funny is like week before I was debating whether to go to New York for Passover in April. And I was like, I don't know that we should go. I don't know. It feels, it feels, is it wrong that we're not going to go? I mean, we should, we should go, right? I don't think we should yeah, go. Yeah. And then like yeah. by March 11th, it was like, yeah, we're not going. Like clearly yeah. we're it not going. It happened fast. I mean, it Super happened fast. slow. And then all of a sudden it was like two days yeah. in and we were just like all in a totally different place. So I, I wrote uh, nine ways to network in a pandemic and it came out on March 12th. And on the 13th, I did one of those things, which was to host a virtual happy hour. 
And, and it happened, like you said, in very quick succession. I felt very stuck for two days, <laughs> but like those two <laughs> days I felt so stuck, but I got out of it very quickly. I'm very grateful for that. But one of the things I wrote about in my nine ways to network in a pandemic was if there was an event coming up where you would have met someone like that was your point of reconnection, still use it as your point of reconnection. Like, like there are conferences that I go every year and that's where I see people. You and I met at a conference. If I went back to that conference, I would seek you out. And so I was trying to think like, okay, there are events coming up on this calendar year that I need to sort of use that as a trigger for it's been a year. How have you been? Even though, and it wouldn't be weird because it's when I would normally talk to you out of the blue. Totally, totally, totally. Yep. No, that's, that's great. I mean, what most of us just need is an interaction and what you did so brilliantly is that most of us talk ourselves out of it because we think it will be awkward. And the truth of the matter is 61% of us pre pandemic are reporting loneliness on a somewhat regular basis. And so that says to me, this is not an individual problem as much as a, a systemic one. And the way we're collectively doing relationships needs to change because when you have 61% of us feeling lonely on a regular basis, and those numbers are higher for men, those are higher for millennials, for Gen Z, it's higher for people of color, those are higher for people who are um, poor and and, um, fair mental and physical health. I mean, so yeah, we're talking like a lot of people who we need to be uh, paying attention to how we're doing relationships. And we need to be willing to do what you did and lean into finding new ways, because if we just keep doing the same thing we're doing, it's not working. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's in some ways a joy to have those moments now because it's what changes my schedule day to day. It's, it's a little, it's a little like punctuations of my otherwise blurs day type of schedule. Yeah. Like every day is a work day. Every day is the same day and to have things to look forward to. So my Friday event is now a highlight of my week. And I joke at the beginning, Very I've been cool. doing it since March 13th. So it's a long time now, Very every good. week. And Very I say, good. you know what, we, one thing has happened that I know for sure, seven days have, have transpired since I last <laughs> saw you. And the That's passage awesome. of time right now is really weird. So like, just acknowledge that we've all gone through another week. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really fun. So that's no more bad zoom. Um, the virtual happy hour and y'all listening can go to no more bad zoom.com to check that out. Love you to have us join it. Have you join us And Shasta? Um, I, I want to ask you a question actually about this shift into this being a business because I, I sort of discovered that there was a thing called events kind of, way after I was already doing them. I discovered this thing (laughs) called speaking way after I was already doing it. Like I did not know these were professions. So you had a sense that you knew how to be in front of people. You know, you had done that in the church kind of context. Um, But when did you think this is a business? Like, did you, did that all kind of crystallize? And did you, did you have people in your network that were speakers or had things in this world? Like, how did, how did you make that leap? Because I think it's a little different for every person I've talked to. Yeah, it's a great question. I think that was one of the hardest things about leaving church work is that, um, yeah, I just got paid to speak. You know, I didn't get, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't have to pitch myself. I didn't have to like sell every week. I just got paid to speak. And the interesting thing in that case is I got, I was expected to speak on an entirely different subject every single week. It was like writing an entirely different keynote and I was a healthier person pastor if I was well-rounded in what I spoke on. So, I mean, I had to become an expert on everything. So one of the hard things for me as a speaker initially was just uh, zeroing in and just kind of staying consistent on the topic because I was like, I can talk about everything. I can be an expert on anything, you know, just like, let me study it for a week and I can give you the what you need to know. But uh, yeah, for me, it was really interesting. It was more about, I kind of went from pastoring to coaching. And I remember attending like some coaching events and you just kind of seeing other people speaking and just saying, I could do that. Or I like, I could do that, but not to say I, I could do that better. I could do it differently. I could do it the way like I could do that. And, um, to me, the idea of speaking was not hard. And I knew there was, I knew the world was out there for it. Um, but the hard part for me really was, I mean, I was completely had no brand anymore because my entire world for getting for getting booked was in a religious context and I was leaving that. And so I had no relationships with uh, organizations and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So that part was the harder part for me. And then really the pitching myself and the um, just kind of trying to 
yeah, that, that the business side of speaking was never fun for me. I just was like, just get me on a stage. Tell me what outcome you want. I will help facilitate connection. I will help inspire your people. I will give data. I will give practical tips. Like, let me add it. Right. But the actual having to just all of the, all the logistics of it, that was a big learning curve for me. And that's where you and I met as the National Speakers Association. It was me choosing to say, if this is what I'm going to do, I need to like start learning from people who have been down this road because I, I'm a good speaker, but that's different than actually running a business on speaking. And so having to learn how to do that from others was a really big part of that learning curve. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard many people say NSA is about the business of speaking and it's a, it's a good place to go. I actually joined a month after I left my career. I, to make a commitment to speaking as, a, as a profession because I, I has been a, a part of an association for my prior profession. And I thought, well, why am I going to wait 10 years and then join? Like, exactly. Good I'll job. just join right now. I actually committed to going uh, to the conference every year for 10 years and then deciding whether it was worth it. I'm now on like year seven or eight. So <laughs> I love that one. Well, I can attest to all, I can attest to all of your listeners that Robbie is somebody who showed up and practiced the three requirements of relationship. He's somebody who showed up, was consistent, sought people out, showed up. You reached out ahead of time. You like reached out at the time to schedule time together. You followed up with people. That's consistency. You like sought people out, leaving them feeling thought of and cared for and uh, wanted to know about them, which was vulnerability and positivity. And Robbie showed up and built relationships, you know, which is amazing. Cause I think so many of us, myself included can show up in a setting like that and feel like we're waiting to be invited, waiting to be brought in, waiting to be accepted by the, those who are attendees and regulars. And it can be easy for us to walk away and be like, oh, they're just all clicky and they're just all know each other. And why would I want to be here? And we forget that they're not being clicky. They've just practiced the three requirements of relationship year after year after year. So of course they'd have better relationships. And the only way I can get in isn't somebody breaking me in. It's me building relationships and building those same, that same bond. And so you are somebody who practices what you teach and showed up and, uh, yeah, I mean, and I know relationships, but I'm enough of a shy person in those settings that I don't do what you do. And you are a great example of having, you could have attended less and you will like have more relationships than, than I would having attended a long period of time, but you're right to not judge it until you've been consistent and shown up because so many people attend a networking event once and make a judgment. Well, I didn't really meet anybody there. It wasn't meaningful. And I'm just like, really, you expect to just like have a best friend waiting there for you, the perfect person, like that stuff only happens when you build consistency. And so most people give up too soon. I actually have a rule. Um, when I ran my meetup group, we said that you were regular after you've attended three times in a short enough amount of time that either you or we remembered. So yeah, roughly yeah, yeah, once yeah. a month, if you came once a month, we did two events a month. If you came once a month for three months, then you were no longer a stranger to us. You were no longer new. But if you came three yeah. times over 12 months, and every yeah. time you showed up, it was like starting over again. Totally. I agree completely. I, I often liken building relationships to like exercise. Like if you're just going to go do it once a month, it's, you're going to be like, this doesn't work. <laughs> you have to do it regularly to actually get the benefit of the exercise. And it's same with relationships. And we often, we know this romantically, like we, we have a great date and we would be kind of taken aback if that romantic interest was like, this was so fun. We should do this again in a couple months. You know, we'd be like, really? Like we understand romantically that we, if we're both interested, we're trying to find the next time on our calendars where we can like get together again. But something weird about platonic relationships, we just think we should just, we just let them die for lack of momentum for no other reason. It's even, we can both say we want to be friends. We can both like each other. And so many relationships never get off the ground because they simply never got the momentum of consistency. Mm. So that was a great rule you put in place. You know, I want to just touch on what you said about my experience at the conference, because the year you and I met, I actually did not have a meal alone. Um, <laughs> I believe that. And uh, I didn't pre-plan my breakfasts because I never know exactly what time or how quickly I'll be rushed. But I always knew by that point, I always knew people to join, but every lunch and every dinner, I organize something. You came to one of my lunches and mm -hmm. I, I organized this one dinner. And I remember I invited someone who to me is, was like, she'd been there for 23 years. So this is someone very steeped in the culture of the conference and the organization who I assume knows everybody. And I mean, everybody knows her. I, I knew her my first year I knew of her and I, she was, we were on like a text thread with a larger group and I specifically reached out and was like, Hey, we're doing this thing. Do you want to come? Do you want to come? And I like reinforced the message 
And it turned out like she didn't have plans and her roommates were taking the time to do some work thing so they couldn't hang out with her. And they were actually doing it in their suite. So she couldn't even hang out in her suite. And everyone, I guess, assumed <laughs> she had plans. Perfect. So yeah. because she'd been around for a long time, there was an assumption that she, she had a, yes. her dance card was yes. full. And yes. I ignored the assumption. Yes. I, I yes. tried to say like, I don't know. How do I know whether she's got time or not? Yep. Even if yep. she can't make it, I still want to make this invitation because that will lead to future yes. invitations. Yes. yes. She came, yes. we sat across from each that. other and she became a close friend that I, one of these people who's been a real champion of mine in that space it's been on the show. It's just, I, it's just a good illustration of what's possible, but you've got to like reach out first. Yeah. Yeah. And you're willing to see an invitation as a gift you're giving that even if it doesn't turn into an interaction, you have just left this person feeling more thought of and more wanted, which is a beautiful gift to give. And you have left an impression that you're somebody who reaches out. So there's nothing lost. But for so many of us, uh, I think because we know intuitively how much relationships matter to our health, our health and happiness. And I mean, I could just go give a whole keynote right now on just all the research on just how significant it is to our health and happiness, like so, 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 so significant. I think we intuitively know that. And so our, one of our greatest fears is the antithesis of that. It's the rejection. It's like not belonging. And uh, it's easy for most of us in these settings to walk in and start looking at how we don't fit in. And am I wearing the right clothes? Am I older than everybody? Am I too young? Am I this? Am I like, we just immediately are, we don't even know we're doing it. It's so built into our psyche of like trying to figure out, am I okay? Do, am I accepted? Am I going to be okay? And uh, what you did was so beautiful because most of us use like, well, we make uh, come up with a whole bunch of excuses because our greatest fear would be to be rejected or to think what do yeah. And so we just have this monkey mind that does so much, uh, so much to keep us disconnected, even when it's what we so long for. So that's a great example. Well, I'll, I'll be vulnerable here and tell you that I absolutely know what it feels like not to belong and to not fit in. Oh. And it's that, it's that, that I actually turn around to then the reason I host it's actually mm -hmm. to counter that feeling of being left out. Because yes. if I'm hosting, then I'm reaching out to yeah. others to invite them. And I know that I'm gonna yes. make it a welcoming space for them and that I'll be welcome there too. If I wait for the invitation, then I just feel bad. So mm. yeah. it's this become like, it's while others see it as like, a, I mean, obviously it's a gift to them as well, but it's also, it's my security. You know, mm -hmm. it's, mm -hmm. I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to wait for the invitation because people I aren't always that. thoughtful and they're not always, yeah. they don't follow through and people are obtuse <laughs> and yes, in their own head yes, and have their yes. own reasons for not making the invitation. So like, I'll make it. <laughs> I love that. And thank you for that. Honestly, we all know that feeling. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we can, it's amazing how talking about friendship can take us all back to some elementary school moment where we have that drama of just like not fitting in or, or, you know, I mean, I remember Amy Kay in third grade telling me I was no longer her best friend and I still can go back to the coat room where I was sobbing that my life was over, you know, and I'm sure the next day we were best friends, but like that moment where she just told me Kristen was her best friend and not me, like just devastating. And, uh, yeah, we all have those moments and what you're doing is so perfect. I, so when I'm in an audience and I often, when I am like teaching a more practical workshop, I'll say, how many of you are the ones who feel like you're doing all the giving in a relationship? you know, and 95% of the hands go up. I mean, this is what's so fascinating, right? Is that we all kind of feel like we're the ones doing most of the initiating. The crazy thing is that we either are all initiating with the same 5% of people who are just sitting there sucking up, getting it from all of us, or we all have this belief that we are initiating. And we're kind of keeping track of that more. And it stops us from doing what you did on what you did is so beautiful because so many of us uh, interpret, well, I invited last time. And so then we just sit back and wait for them to invite. And if they don't invite, we get our feelings hurt and we create a story around it and and then we kind of pull away and then the the friendship drifts apart and it usually has nothing to do with both people not liking each other or getting a lot from it it just has to do with one of us gets our feelings hurt from like feeling like we have to be the initiator and if we could let go of some of the story around the initiating being this like uh, like if we could take your narrative, it would be a game changer because really the bigger question is, are we practicing consistency? And it doesn't matter how we got there. It doesn't matter if it's at, at a work where neither of us initiated. It doesn't matter if Robbie's always the one initiating it. It doesn't matter if it goes back and forth. It matters that we are together and that we are then getting to know each other and practicing vulnerability and that it leaves us feeling good. And if the answer is yes, I'm getting all of that, then step up and say, I'm initiating for my sake. I'm not, this isn't a gift I give to somebody else. I'm doing this because I want 
relationships. I don't want to be lonely. I know that this matters for my sake. And so as long as I'm getting the outcome of better relationships and a feeling seen and feeling connected, then I'm winning. And this is the outcome. This is the action that leads to that outcome. And so what you're doing is like the healthiest, healthiest thing. But research shows that we are, when we feel rejected, even if we perceive rejection, it lights up the same part of our brain as if we got kicked in the stomach. So our physical pain centers gets activated when we feel the perception of rejection, even in studies, crazy studies where it's like we are being, we know that we're being studied for rejection and a computer is rejecting us. I mean, it's like something where it's not even our brain doesn't even want to be friends with the computer or we don't even want what they're fighting over, but we want to be included. Like it's crazy how the human brain lights up around rejection. And it doesn't matter how emotionally healthy we are. It doesn't matter what personality we have. We all feel it. We all light up there. The only difference between those of us who are emotionally healthy and those of us who aren't is that when we feel it, we don't choose to react out of that place. We choose to say, okay, well then let me lean in for what I actually want is connection. I'm afraid of rejection. What I want is connection. So let me lean in and do what I can to build connection. That's the difference between emotional intelligence and not is that it's so much easier to pull away and say, but then they're not getting the outcome that they actually want. So that was a really good story you shared. I feel so validated by you since you're the friendship expert. <laughs> I bestow upon you a good friendship seal of approval. No, and I, I could still do so much better. You know, my wife and I are always saying that like, we're like, how do we maintain close friendships? How do we nurture and sustain friendships as we have sort of grown into different areas of, of our lives? Like where, where the reasons we used to hang out together are no longer the reasons to hang out. You know, and I think mm -hmm. that's a consistent, thoughtful effort. I have to yeah. shift our conversation to my last, but one of my favorite questions, uh, which is, I know we're going to continue to hang out and we're going to continue to see each other. And I'm going to look for you at the conference every year <laughs> in particular. Um, you've always got a place at the dinner table with me. Um, Thank you, Robbie. But I want to know if we're reconnecting and it's about a year from now. And I say, oh my gosh, it's been a year since that interview. I want to know what we'll be celebrating. What, what, what are you looking forward oh. to the most in the next 12 months? Oh my goodness. What a great question. Mm. I would normally have answers to that. This year is such a weird year, right? I feel like I'm just like, it's really hard for me to predict what's coming. My dream, I just came out with a book, The Business of Friendship in August. It just came out, uh, just was released like two months ago. My vision for that was that I would be able to be going into corporations and like helping bring healthy relationships to that system. So for 10 years, I've been teaching healthy relationships to individuals, uh, how to make new friends as an adult, how to deepen friendships as an adult. And it kind of hit me like two years ago. Um, when you see the kinds of numbers that we have as just feeling disconnected collectively. Uh, we, we need to figure out how to do education differently. We need to figure out how to do politics differently. We need to figure out how to do healthcare differently. We need to figure out how to do our, our company differently. And so I just decided to start with the one where we spend the most amount of our time. And so I kind of have a picture of like trying to make a dent in the workforce on this message, you know, and um, I, I, so I don't know, it feels weird. Like I pictured a book tour where we brought on all these companies. And so I'm doing a lot of virtual talks and team building stuff and, um, all that, I guess, if, I guess a year from now, I would just want to be like, I feel like I maximized that. I feel like I got out and got to share the message. And if I felt like I was able to make a living doing it this year, that would be even greater and more amazing. But yeah, this is just what I feel called to talk and teach about right now. And if I can figure out a way to keep doing it where it blesses others and, and, uh, and compensates me, that would be like the dream for this year. I love it. I can't wait to celebrate all of that with you. And I hope it comes true for you because it's uh, well, I, little... I have to ask you back though, what we're celebrating when I see you, <laughs> we have to toast and it has to be mutual. So I'm not letting you in this podcast without you sharing something on that one. Well, uh, six months ago, I, I started a whole new revenue stream, multiple revenue streams, for my business that did not exist prior to April and Good they're taking you. off right now. Good and so I'm, I'm now a virtual event design consultant and executive zoom producer and I am just starting to work with some new corporate clients around employee engagement programs, which much to your point yes, is needed yes, in a virtual space. Yes, I'm yes. helping people bring their events online with engagement being a focus of how we do that. And I'm training and certifying people in how to be running those events or speaking at those events. So all of those are nascent, you. but they're very, very promising. I've, I've actually made a living from it more than I had in previous years, even. Good. Um, Good. I found my niche, you know, I, I get to, to do this. So a year from now that this will all have stabilized. And I think my big wish is that I will find ways to have continuous breaks. <laughs> I've not had very many breaks. <laughs> um, yes. And so 
I'd like to do all the things I'm doing now and then some, but with some consistency and some, some downtime, yes. that would be, I'd yes, love you, to celebrate yes, that. We, uh, we will celebrate your sustainability because you are taking, <laughs> yes. taking regular pauses and breaks so that you are, can last longer. Absolutely. We want that for you. Yeah. Well, it's going to be fun to have this conversation with you a year from now. Uh, how can people find you and follow your work, Shasta? Well, the website is shastanelson.com that kind of has all of that stuff. Uh, and the book, the newest book is the business of And on there, I, I should mention, I have a whole free to team toolkit with videos and assessments and all kinds of stuff for the, for the workplace on healthy relationships. And of course I'm all on social media. So come find me on Facebook or Instagram. I do weekly YouTube videos and I'm on LinkedIn. So Shasta M Nelson, you can find me in all those places. And I would tell me you heard me here and I would love to add you and connect with you and uh, build that relationship with you. Fantastic. I will have all those links in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Shasta, thank you so much for joining us. I'll have you're practicing these three things on so your entire community and on this podcast. Congratulations on the, on the longevity and impact you're having. Hope you enjoyed the interview with Shasta. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 223. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources in today's show, as well as over 200 archived episodes on this Pinterest-inspired page. Reach out and let me know which are your favorite interviews. Now, considering what I said at the beginning of the episode, would you be willing to make a gift of any size to Samaritans? That's my local suicide prevention organization here in Massachusetts. You can go to RobbieSamuels.com forward slash hope, because that will take you directly to their website donation page. With libraries and community centers closed, it's going to be a long, cold winter for many. Make your gift in honor of hashtag no more bad Zoom so they'll know my community is supporting them. Also, if you're in charge of running your office holiday party and don't know where to begin, let me help. As a virtual event design consultant, I offer a range of services, including strategy, training, emceeing, and production. Email me to schedule a one-time consult or book me for your event. My email is Robbie at robbysamuels.com. That's Robbie at robbysamuels.com. If you enjoyed this episode with Shasta, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe for free so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. See so you to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. Look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.